What's up, podcast listeners? This is Jeff Burningham from the Extraordinary Us podcast, bringing you another Greatest Hits episode with John and Mary Kay Huntsman. This was one of my favorite episodes from season one. It was actually episode three. Let me give you a little more context for the conversation that you're about to hear. John and I had just come out of a... uh, a grueling and interesting, a challenging governor race against each other as opponents. We both uh, unfortunately lost. And it was highlighted and spiked an exclamation pointed by COVID, which was so devastating and so hard. You may remember, I mean, John got COVID during some of the most critical weeks of the campaign and was confined to his home office. Really, all of us were. I was literally talking into the back of my iPhone. This is before we had all kind of figured out and mastered Zoom. I mean, this is March and April, March right away. I was speaking into the back of my iPhone to, you know, between 10 and hundreds of people that I could not see, that I got no feedback from for like 12 hours a day you know, six days a week. This was an exceedingly hard part of the campaign. We had just come off of the, both come off of this loss. What's funny and ironic is that we had kind of come full circle. A couple of years earlier, when I started considering running for governor, one of the few people that I called and asked for advice was John Huntsman, then the ambassador uh, to Russia. I called him in Moscow and we had a great conversation. I don't think at that point, he was very encouraging and very kind, by the way. I don't think at that time he had was planning to run for governor. This is how decisions are made. I found that the Huntsmans aren't necessary. They're not calculating politicians. I think John, as things came together, just felt, John and Mary Kay, I should say, felt compelled to try to run. It felt like it was a critical time in Utah, which I agree it was, and felt like his skill set, his experience as a previous governor and someone who had run for president of the United States and has and been in multiple ambassador, that those skills and that background could be a blessing uh, to our state. And so we, you know, we had an interesting experience, a great conversation. I had no idea he would be my competitor. I remember sitting at my very first debate in St. George, Utah. This is very early in January of 2020 and sitting right next to John and saying, man, my first debate, I'm sitting between the lieutenant governor and uh, a guy who's run for president and been the governor before John Huntsman. I made a crack actually and, and mentioned that call to John and joked that he was on horseback when I called with Vladimir Putin. I asked Mary Kay if he had a shirt on. Anyways, that was a light and fun moment in the campaign. We got to know each other well, obviously through debates and dinners and public appearances and a lot of of different experiences. I think the world of the Huntsman's there. uh, You know, that family's handprints are all over the state of Utah. In fact, I have a loved one right now uh, up at Huntsman Hospital in Salt Lake, and uh, I'm grateful for all the Huntsmans have done for us and for our state and for John and Mary Kay. I titled this episode, In the Quiet Heart is Hidden, Sorrow That the Eye Can't See. That will be a familiar phrase to a lot of my listeners. And I think that is the truth, no matter our last name, no matter where we came from, no matter our political or economic or whatever status we have or do not have. So often, each of us is holding on to sorrow that the eye can't see. So let's be gentle with each other. I hope this uh, episode inspires you. I think it's an inside look into who John and Mary Kay are. I was so impressed. I wanted to share that with you. I asked some hard questions, and they were vulnerable. I appreciate that about them in this interview. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you. I hope it helps you to get to know them better. And maybe most of all is a reminder to put your arm around someone this week, send a kind note, do something that will make a difference to people in your lives. We all need it. We all need uplifting. And uh, I'm grateful for the times that John has been a good friend to me 
enjoy this episode, Greatest Hits, Extraordinary Us. I'm with John and Mary Kay Huntsman. And I'm not going to stand on the sidelines. I'd rather die and, you know, say that I fought a good fight, even if you lose, as a participant, as opposed to a cold, cowardly critic from the sidelines, which I never want to be confused as being. This is Jeff Burningham. Welcome to the Us Podcast. Here is the purpose of the podcast. What can we learn from each other? And how can we make a difference? 100% of us are flawed, no doubt, but I believe that 99.3 or 0.7% of us, almost all of us, are good, trying to do good and making a difference in the world. No matter our differences, and sometimes those are definitely acute, we are all a lot more alike than we often realize. A goal of this podcast is to elicit more compassion and less comparing to those around us. Another is to eradicate fear. We often let mistakes of the past and concern for an unknown future destroy our happiness and stunt our progress moving forward. These are the stories of people you may or may not have heard of that will change your life for the better. And today, uh, I am excited to have friends of mine that you have definitely heard of, and that is John and Mary Kay Huntsman. Thank you for being with me. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, we're glad Thanks, to Jeff. have what you. What a treat. Thanks, Thanks for having us. So, you know, we've been friends for quite some time. John, I remember visiting you in D.C. years ago. And then, of course, we found ourselves shoulder to shoulder in the last gubernatorial election. And that's really where we became friends. Sally and uh, Mary Kay became good friends. And Sally thinks a lot of you, Mary Kay. We appreciated uh, running. Mutual. Yeah. We appreciated running with John and all that you brought to the race, of course. And so that's our background together. And I'd like, I'm excited to have this uh, discussion. We're, we're talking here at the end of August. It's an interesting time. What have you guys been doing since the election? It f- feels kind of good to let down a little bit, doesn't it? What do you think? Ah, I heard that. (laughs) uh, Taking a breather. It's been great. Yeah. We've had a great time together. Uh, Just being with family and and grandkids and doing the things that we ought to be doing. Yeah. Elections are an interesting thing, you know, Jeff, and it was great being with you because you brought life and vibrancy and great ideas coming from the private sector to the political sphere. Because usually the political sphere is dominated by a lot of nonsense thinking. Yeah. And sometimes no vision at all. I yeah. mean, it's amazing how many people get elected, as we saw just recently with no compelling vision whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but it's also um, the the perfect manifestation of American freedom because it's like starting a business. You know, you st- being a candidate is like an entrepreneur, as you found. It is. Because yeah. you saw the parallels. I've yeah, no it is. About that. Yeah. It's different, but it is very similar. It's a, in a lot startup of enterprise. Is, you're yeah. risking your name. You're risking everything. Yeah. You're putting it all out there, and you're trying to make the sale, trying to close yeah. the deal. It's much more public, though. It's, yeah. yeah. And you have and, people firing at you. And a lot of people hate that part because <laughs> yeah. it is public, and, and a lot can't stand it. Um, and you just got to learn to live with thick skin and put up with it all. And once you figure that one out, I, you're, you're okay. But, you know, you have the ups and downs of a campaign and watching you and Sally was great because you were both were newcomers to it. And yep. we'd, we'd been at it a little bit. And to see the freshness that you brought and the ideas that were an extension of what you'd experienced in the private sector was, I thought, great, particularly for, for an open election cycle where yeah. it should be anything goes. Let's bring it all on, bring people with ideas. Yeah, best ideas win, Make right? the yeah. sale and go for it. And yeah. you did a great job, and, and we watched you and, and, and admire you to this day for what for what you did. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I admire you guys for coming back. I, I'll be honest. When you announced formally that you were gaining the race, we were in St. George campaigning. I was excited. I was excited that you were in the race. I thought that you would bring, obviously, a very interesting perspective, an incredibly impressive resume, of course, to the position. And I, I thought it was great because it should be a competition of ideas. Right. Now, this competition well. was a little – was weird in yeah. like every form and fashion. I yeah. mean, it was so interesting. COVID happens. I remember sitting on my couch late one night, a week or two after COVID, and I realized, at least for me – 
you know, an up and coming kind of newcomer without name ID, I, I felt like this election is over in a lot of ways. I felt like there would be kind of a flight to safety or to names that are known. And the two biggest names, of course, were yourself and and Spencer Cox. You obviously had an interesting experience with COVID. I mean, you spent you you got COVID during key weeks of the campaign. What was your experience with COVID? You know, like and this whole election season it was crazy, wasn't it? Oh my goodness, totally crazy. I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll I'll let Mary Kay give you the flavor from you know inside the Huntsman home, but. Um, the minute it started, it was like uh, it reminded me exactly of Russia and uh, and people under uh, under house arrest. So mm-hmm. I think of Alexei Navalny, who was uh, was just poisoned yeah. uh, in the last couple of weeks by the Putin thugs. And, you know, nobody can compete. You know, there there is it's an impossible environment. And COVID made it impossible for anybody basically to get out and do anything. So you sort of feel like you're under house arrest during that period. Um, and I, I got it at the beginning. There was uh, there was a misdiagnosis in my first test. Yeah, it's and the second test was contaminated. So that didn't count. The third test, finally, we got the positive that <laughs> we knew it was. And then it went right through the family. And th- that's when things got really harrowing. Yeah, because we're supposed to be running a campaign and connecting with people, raising money and doing all this stuff. And we were just falling like flies in our own family. And it was just it was surreal. It was out of some strange novel. (laughs) So this uh, wasn't on your matrix of possibilities. Global pandemic. No, 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 not at all. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that any gubernatorial candidate, of course, or anyone uh, planned for this. It's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It, uh, it, it, was, it was truly crazy. But what it did in shutting down the ability for us, so you're an entrepreneur, you go do what you do, you're a candidate, you do what you do, and yeah. doing what you do includes going out, pumping the flesh, pressing the flesh, uh, standing in front of large groups of people, letting them size you up, your character, your yeah. Uh, your ideas, and then casting a vote. Well, none of that took place, which was really the strange part of the campaign. So everybody goes to the airwaves and puts goofy, corny ads on, which I hate, mm-hmm. and and you spend millions of bucks doing it. That's then that's the campaign. Yeah. Uh, and and so then it becomes kind of a get out the vote exercise to see who's better organized. But all the while, you know, we were at home. We had our family. We had not uh, everybody, but how many did we seven have? Seven grandkids were there, three yeah. families. Right. Uh, I they think, came thinking they'd be with us for maybe a week or two, and then it just kind of expanded to be like four months. But I just had a flashback to COVID and what you don't know, Jeff, and you were part of that, you know, that this whole uh, debate thing, um, you know, watching watching how these debates played out. As he was heading to the night that it was the Channel 2 one, I remember him standing in the bathroom looking at me saying, I'm really dizzy. I don't feel good. He was white as a ghost. And I said, maybe you shouldn't do it. He said, nope, I'm going. I'm going to do it. And I thought that's the side to him I know that others don't know. And when you saw him up there on, on stage that night or actually in a back room, I knew that what was going on. And yet... He came out as if everything was just fine. Yeah. And, uh, as, you know, it's part of the, the resilience he has in him and the part that I know that, that um, makes him who he is. And he was – he said, you know, I've got a job to do and I'm going to get up and I'm going to go do it. So Yeah, that was you know, impressive. That was, that was not an easy night and one that could have, you know, easily made – you know, he, he should have made that decision right before not to do it because that – for health reasons, but he did it because he just felt like, you know what, I need to get up and go. That was impressive. And when people would ask me about, you know, why is John in the race or whatever, and I would just say. Because he's crazy. Yeah, because yeah. he's crazy. Hey, do you know his dad? He's a yeah. riverboat gambler, as you would say, right? Entrepreneur. Uh, but I, I, what I admire personally, and, I, you know, winning or losing doesn't change the way that I feel about you guys or whatever, or, you know, how I hold you in esteem. But Theoretically, politicians think about winning and losing and losing. You had a lot more to lose in this race than to win. You, you've had the job, for goodness sake. And you did it. Yeah. And you, and you were a great governor. And so I really admired that courage to just jump in and not knowing what would happen. Get in there. And- well, well, it was fueled a little bit by the love of our system. You can't live in Russia and China without saying we've got a great system. 
It's got to be used to its fullest capacity, the greatest extent pot. We have to preserve it, nurture it, make it healthy. And if people aren't willing to raise their hand and volunteer, where does that leave us? And so you look at folks, entrepreneurs like you are are very uh, uh, infrequent to the dance. They just don't want to risk it. You know, why put my name and my reputation on the line? I think I'll just laugh at other people who do it. So so everybody everybody becomes a critic and nobody gets in the arena and actually starts, you know, actually engages in the fight for a better tomorrow. So you live in authoritarian places, communist countries, and you say, I love this system. This is really remarkable. And I'm not going to stand on the sidelines. I'd rather die and, you know, say that I fought a good fight, even if you lose, as a participant, as opposed to a cold, cowardly critic from the sidelines, which yeah. I never want to be confused as being. Yeah, I, I love that thought, and I totally agree. That's why I got in the race, right, is I found myself feeling like we could do things differently in Utah, feeling like the last decade was not an indication necessarily of what would happen with the new, the next decade. We needed to innovate. We needed to do things Differently, and in order to do that, I think that I thought or felt like we needed a new voice, and so I, you know, I stepped out there as you guys know, and and you did great. Well, you I appreciate great. that. And and the more the time went on, the more that Jeff Burningham caught fire. <laughs> wow! Well, until COVID, uh, and then was, everything just uh, it was a it was great thing like to icing. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. It was just like an icing of the. Uh, it was like a standstill, you know, after COVID, but. So now it's August 27th. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of rumors uh, about the writing campaign. This episode won't be released until after the date where you need to decide. I'm not going to ask you your decision unless you want to tell us. But what goes into – I think you've stayed amazingly kind of consistent in what you've said all along. I know that there are others on the outside kind of drafting you to get back in. Let me just ask this, if you don't want to tell us your decision, what will go into that decision? How will you make that decision, do you think, in the next couple of days? Because it stands right before you. Yeah, well, it's pretty simple in my mind. So I'm a rule of law guy. I think that's the magic of our system in the West. And absent rule of law, you have chaos and anarchy. So the rules still apply in politics, which is important. So if you have a primary and you play by the rules, even if it was a, the goofiest, most <laughs> unprecedented primary, non-primary uh, yeah. I, I, I've ever seen, then, then you respect that. So, you know, I, I'm thrilled and honored that you got people, you know, banging the drums out there trying to do a write-in. I mean, all that sounds really interesting. The only thing that – and I've said pretty consistently, I, I just – that's not part of my plan to do that. Uh, but for some major irregularity that was unearthed, uh, uh, in the realm of unethical behavior by the governor's office, uh, in which case you would feel compelled to say, okay, the people do deserve an alternative yeah, because these, these, this person might not make it to the finish line for whatever reason. So if there was a scenario that played out uh, like that, then, you know, you'd, you'd give it serious consideration. Yeah, and Auditor Dougal, right, is doing, I think, a debrief. I haven't spoken to him lately. We're likely not to get that before, are we? Do you guys know the timing of that? I, I don't. That's the strangest thing in the world. Yeah, it's so, taken forever. So if it, it takes longer, one has to assume that there's more there than they thought or yeah. that there is something there that's complicated and difficult to unravel. Uh, I don't know why John doesn't provide a smoke signal or something just to say, hey, I'm still busy. There was more here than I thought. Yeah. Uh, just a signal to the marketplace uh, would be would be nice, but it's been complete radio silence. So who knows what yeah, will play it. You want to assume that people always uh, engage in the best of motives when they make decisions and yeah. that there's clarity of thinking, but there was so much that went on uh, during the COVID period and uh, the contracting, the no bid contracting. So many questions that haven't been answered. Yeah, and it's like okay, we can sweep it all under the rug, and maybe that's what happens, uh, or maybe something comes out and the authorities say this is bad behavior. Let's take a deeper look into it. In which case, you have a crisis of legitimacy around governing, yeah. and that's when you kind of scratch your head and say, okay. Maybe a write-in at this point is, is but, but that's not where we are. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate your principled stand on how you're thinking about it. I think that's you know that's great. We've t- we've spoken a lot about politics. This isn't a political podcast though. <laughs> what, what's it? Tell me this. Me. <laughs> it's not meant to be. Always stands uh, to go. Yeah. Well, hey, um, what's it like to be a huntsman? What do people not know? You know, like about being a huntsman in Utah. You know, what's it? 
you know, what's it like? Tell I, one thing that you told me. I, I think we were backstage at a at a debate or some public event. It might have been the Clean Air Forum, but. Um, you were like, I was born on the GI Bill. You know, I didn't know that. And that was interesting to me. You know, tell us about being a huntsman. What's it like? And give us your thoughts. Well, listen, if you take away the uh, the the mysticism and the disinformation, uh, you're left with people who are just pretty much plain, normal human beings. Yeah. That's and, and, that's, sure. and that's what we are. That's and I'm sure. surprised when people come up and say, gee, you seem like you're so normal. Well, what do you think I'm supposed yeah. to be? <laughs> You know, hey, I met this guy in, at Highland High in high school. Yeah. He's the same. Yeah. Same thing. He was – He was. No, nobody know, knew the it, name Huntsman when I was uh, in high school. Yeah. And you just dated a rock and roll musician. A uh, rock and too. roll musician that uh, was just fun, you yeah. know, just sense of humor and, you know, great big smile. And, I mean, that's the same guy today. It, yeah. it, it really is. That's cool. So, you yeah. know, you, uh, you know, I Mary Kay grew up in Florida. I grew up in California. Born on the GI Bill because my dad was in the Navy when I came along, and he didn't. We didn't have any money, yeah. So you know, you're like a whole lot of other folks. Grew up in 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 middle uh, uh, to upper income circumstances, like everybody else in Southern California, yeah. uh, outside in the San Fernando Valley, outside of Los Angeles. After my dad left the Navy, man, he went to work for his uncles in the egg business, and those are my earliest recollections going to egg going to chicken farms. And collecting eggs with my dad, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then going to the, the the major customers, the Krogers of the world, yeah. the Safeways of the world, where mm-hmm. they would sell that stuff. And you know that's the way you're raised. And then and then big bets are made, big gambles follow, where you can lose everything or you can actually start a business. And that's kind of where entrepreneurship started in our family. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm interested in this because I'm kind of the. I mean, you know, for our family, maybe your dad. My kids grew up starting with nothing and now that has changed. When did it become apparent to you or when did that change for you? Meaning you kind of realize like, oh, maybe my dad's successful and maybe our family is doing well or better than I even thought. I'm curious, what age range was that? And how did that, this is kind of a selfish question. I'm I'm thinking of my kids. How did that affect you or not affect you at all? So Huntsman Corporation was really born in the 80s. Okay. Um, When I was, when I was, uh, when I was growing up and it, it started with an acquisition of a, a subsidiary of shell chemical uh, in Belpre, Ohio, which was a little manufacturing plant that was turned around and, and we leveraged up and bought several more uh, similar acquisitions. And pretty soon you have, you know, a two, three, $400 million uh, uh, in revenue business. Doesn't mean you're making any money, but you know, the first time that it, it dawned on, on me, cause my earliest business uh, lessons were in Vegas at the gambling table with my dad mm. at the craps table. Mm. Uh, you know, here's here's here are the principles of business, son. You win, you lose. You take a risk. You might you get a reward, but you might get nothing. And so, uh, when you say this gambling thing, that's not just metaphorical necessarily. No. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Sorry. Oh I didn't... no, we've always been a gambling family. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. And how old are you? How old are you? And I don't know. So we, this is when we used to drive uh, between uh, Los Angeles, where where I was growing up, yeah. and Fillmore to see my family, my Got relatives. <clears throat> and that's where my grandpa was, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins. That that was the center of Huntsman civilization was in Fillmore. Got it. And uh, uh, and so, so we'd stop in Vegas on the way, like everybody else, and you roll the dice, and that's you know the earliest business <laughs> principles are learned around the craps table. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, you know, people would think that I was just sort of engaging in, in, in crass hyperbole when I would say that. But nope, that, that's, that's, how, we that's, that's how we rolled. That's how – and my dad remained uh, a dedicated gambler to the day he died. Huh. And uh, won big and lost big. Yeah. Uh, it's just part of the Huntsman DNA. Yeah. And, and part of it is, you know, you can gamble at the table. You can gamble in business. The same principle apply. You can gamble in politics. Life is a risk because every day we wake up and we take a series of risks through the day. Some small, so small we don't even know it, and, and others rather large that can be life-changing. And that's the American way. You know, in China, they don't take risks. There are no risks to take. In Russia, no risks to take. You just yeah. live. Yeah. And in America – You survive. You it, just it's a clawed day-to-day. It's yeah. a blessing of life that we actually have choices and we can make a risk that will put you ahead in the game or you fall behind. you got to live with those consequences. Yeah. Responsibility matters at the end of the day, right? It does. Have you guys heard of Under Your Bed? I bet you have by now. 
if you're listening to the Extraordinary S podcast. I bet you've searched for it maybe and haven't been able to find it. It's true. Isn't that how life is sometimes? (laughs) (laughs) You just can't find what you're searching searching. for. Constantly searching. Well, now you can. Now we've been found. Under Our Bed is finally out. It's really there, people. So type it in right now. Search it up. You're going to love it. Look for it live. Subscribe and tell your friends. Can't wait to have you there with Jeff and Sal. Providing the comedy relief. (laughs) Good night, Sal. Good night, Jeff. One of the things that I love that you spoke about on the campaign trail was, and it's something that is a challenge here in Utah especially, is mental health. Obviously, you and your family have been instrumental in helping healthcare here in Utah in a number of different ways. You know, what were some of your plans or what can we do to help the mental health crisis? I've actually been thinking about this more than ever as a candidate for governor, number one. But then going into COVID, I'll be honest, I've felt more down than I've ever felt before. <laughs> I'm a I'm a public loser, you know, as, as a gubernatorial candidate. We're confined, you know, to our homes, not as many social gatherings. It's just not a it's just a hard time for a lot of people. And this is a, an issue where especially our youth here in Utah, that's something that we need to work on and improve on. What are your thoughts around mental health? How, what can we do better? It's it's important. I think number one is just lifting that stigma. Yeah. You know, everyone's always scared to say that that they have an issue or their child has an issue, and so you hide it. And I always think to that, you know, in the quiet heart is hidden sorrow the eye can't see. And everybody has something. We just can't always see what it is. And if we can, you know, be open more to say, yeah, you know, like you just said, how you're feeling. And, and to be honest, you know, after this campaign loss, I'll be honest, I just kind of went, I felt it was kind of like a dark time. I mean, you just, it was a really, I'd wake up and think, oh, why do I feel down today? And yet you get yourself, you pick yourself back up and you become resilient. But but we go through ups and downs. We yeah. as adults go through them. You are as happy as your most unhappy child. And, you know, we have seven <laughs> children and we, yeah. and uh, eight grandchildren. And uh, I can tell you that every day somebody calls with a crisis every day and and uh, you find that you get through one and somebody else has something and and you as a parent take it all in and feel it. And then many times we feel we have no one to talk to, you know, and if we say something, then, you know, um, you know, you you don't know how that will be interpreted. So you just I think lifting that stigma to say, you know, you're not alone. And you feel that way? Ah, I do too. And and I would say that is probably where you start. Yeah, that's a I, I love I've always loved that stanza. In the quiet heart is hidden sorrow that the eye can't see. Yeah, it's, because it's so true. everyone is dealing with, with something. something. Yeah. And uh what what role has faith played in the huntsman in your life, when your guys' life? Um uh tell us yeah, tell us your feelings about that. Well, we're enriched by multiple faiths uh, in our family. So Mary Kay grew up uh, Episcopalian. Uh, I grew up LDS. And uh, we have um, we have kids. So I attended a Lutheran school growing up in Los Angeles. Our kids went to Catholic schools. Um, they're married to um, a diverse array of faiths from mm-hmm. Jewish to Catholic to Episcopalian. Um so, you know, the fight is over who gives the blessing at the dinner table. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's as difficult as it gets. Yeah. But faith is always – listen, you can't have a son who flies off an aircraft carrier in a fighter jet in the black of night without having faith in a superior supreme being yeah. who presides over all else. You would, you would, you would lose your mind if you didn't. And you can't look at the beauty of civilizations in every corner of the world without coming to that same conclusion, which I've done. Now, there's a difference between, you know, faith uh, and religiosity, which sometimes people wear on their sleeves uh, in in ways that can be uh, practical and good, but sometimes extremely harmful. Um, And uh, and uh, and 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 spiritual. Yeah. So spirituality has always been a very important thing in our family. Um, we talk about it. We think about it. We also invite diverse approaches to faith and spirituality. Yeah. So it was in my family, it was, you know, the Huntsman line. I was the first missionary 
since Parley P. Pratt. So Parley P. Pratt was my great, great, great grandfather. Wow. And no missionaries. No until missionaries. You. Wow. No missionaries until me. Okay. I wasn't a great missionary, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And and I loved discovering what I did when I was sent over to Taiwan. You know, we yeah. baptized a lot. I was a mission leader and stuff. And and loved it. I really did. And 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 loved the traditions and the faith the faith traditions today and, and we're still involved in that. Now, the religiosity aspect, some people count how many times you go to church and whether you, you know, abide by this rule or that, uh, I'm not as caught up on that. You know, I, I think the future is going to be focused more on the pure life of Christ yeah. as opposed to a lot of the, uh, a lot of the man-made a- yeah, aspects of, you know, we well, need to do this, you need to do that. that. That's where people peel off and say, I think not. Yeah. I, I'm in it for the, the core mission of Christ, Ten Commandments living a life of hope and example, um, and a resurrection, which we all hope is real, and uh, life beyond. I mean, we, we all hope that that is, I, I hope that, that, that that's all real out there. Yeah. Um, so that, so, you know, re- religion and faith have always played a role in our family and will continue to. It's a very diverse uh, approach, and, yeah. and I get that. Um, and because of that, you you run across some people who are absolutely intolerant. Yeah, uh, who, which is frustrating. Unless you were one way, yeah. you were no way. Yeah. It's like, well, content of my character, Yeah. content of her character, content of my kid's character. Yeah. Uh, let's let's kind of start with the basics, the Christ-like, you know, love of all. Yeah. And this kind of – oh, go ahead, go Mary ahead. Kay. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say spirituality just, you know, realize it's, it's just such a – personal and private thing. I mean, everyone um, sitting at church, if you were to look at each person is going their own through their own personal spiritual journey. I go back to in the quiet heart is hidden sorrow. The eye can't see how often is your neighbor that you're sitting next to going through something that you have no idea. And it's that personal spiritual, you know, connection that is so important. Um, You know, I, I came here from Florida in high school and I, was Episcopalian. I had not. I mean, someone said to me, um, you know, are you going to go down to the steakhouse for for you know the um, the dance? I said I didn't know there was a restaurant down the street. I didn't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you realize, you know, you I, know I, I had no idea. Um, but there was immediately kind of a standoff of, uh oh, she's not a member. So and and so I kind of was on that end of it and seeing, you know, what it felt like. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Is there, you know, something wrong? And, and um, so coming into it that way was a really, um, I don't know, something I, I have always remembered um, the importance of not judging another person when it comes to their religion. And, you know, um, it is just such a, it's such a, I don't know, such a private thing to where you have to just, there's a respect that needs to be there. And, um, I do think sometimes we get caught up in, you know, what someone's doing or not doing or this or that rather than who is this person. And in our own family, we have our beautiful adopted children, one from India and one from China. And their backgrounds, I'm sure, you know, is, you know, maybe maybe a Buddhist background, a Hindu background. These are beautiful people and beautiful souls. And coming back to spirituality, John and I both felt so such a spiritual connection in bringing these little children into our family. And yeah. you can never take that away. You know, I wear this necklace every day on that says, Lord, protect them. It has the initials of our two boys serving in the Navy. And I hold it close to my heart every day. So, you know, when, when it comes into where somebody is, when someone looks at us and says, well, where are you? You know, how many, you know, times are you attending this or doing this or what? I mean, I look at that thinking, it's so much deeper than that. It's yeah. it's who are you and your your soul, and are you trying each day to be a good person and trying to reach down and lift others to be better? It is private, Mary Kay. I completely agree with you, and that's why I hesitate to even ask about that. But the reason I did is I've always felt around you guys this presence of faith and of spirituality and of meaning, and and I've appreciated that actually about you guys. And part of this comes like you guys. I've traveled to I don't know. 50 plus countries. And as you get to know people from all these different countries, different religions and faith backgrounds, that's where these ideas, some of these ideas in the podcast about us all being a lot more alike than we are different come from. Yes. We all, you know, come from a 
you know, a higher power, a divine being. We're children of God, and uh, we're here for a purpose. And there's beauty in the diversity, right? And yep. and yep. I, I like John, I love John what you said too about the pure life of Christ. Like, let's come down yep. to being. We're all on this path of discipleship, like you said, Mary Kay. We're all on the same journey. Let's help each other out. Let's lift each other. Right. There is a pure love that is there that you feel, and it gets gummed up by a lot of the— by a lot of the Christmas ornaments that people put on religion. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, and I'll I'll tell you, with Grace adopted from China and Asha adopted from India— so I remember one interview— we said, yeah, we we respect and appreciate the Buddhist culture that Grace is from and the Hindu culture that Asha is from. I was viciously attacked yeah. by people you know, yeah, uh, for not towing the line and being, you know, too. Oh, you know, we can't identify what he is, therefore he must be dangerous, and let's spread that around to people. Yeah, Th- this is the the most destructive force in our society. Mm-hmm. When you try to tear down people's character because they might differ from you slightly, and the most hurtful, it just, it just, we even heard it after this this past election that that oh, you know, there there are many out there that may not have voted for you because they didn't know if you guys were you know just you know towed the line all the way. And I thought, how does anybody know what? Any, I mean, again, how do you judge what someone's spirituality is? And you cannot. Yeah, no. That that's so personal, and so that's something that that I just never quite understood. I guess. Going back again, coming in from the outside into to um, um, to Utah in, in high school, it was so foreign to me and how good the people were and how wonderful. But that aspect was something that hit me right away that made me feel less than. Yeah. I felt I am not good enough. I dated a boy one time who said to me, my parents don't want me to date you because you are not a lifetime member of the church. And I thought – how do you, you know, that that was that was a, a moment That's where I stopped and thought, there's something not right about this. You know, I, I am a good person and a very spiritual person, and those things, um, I think we can do better. Yeah, really we can do. do better, and we, and that's the goal of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing openly and honestly. The goal of this podcast is to help us do better, Absolutely. to help us work yeah. together. Uh, this is a great state and a wonderful country, obviously, that we live in, and we can all do better. And one of the ways is to love each other and accept each other, despite our differences, mm-hmm. no doubt. And Utah is becoming a more diverse place. You know, let me tell you, that's not going to change. Utah will continue to become more diverse. And by the way, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I, think I think that's families, a good Jeff, thing. There's probably not a big family out there that is not experiencing diverse. Yeah. There, there's there's diversity in every family, and yeah. and I think that we're realizing that more and more. That's just life. Yeah. It's just, you know. So get, that, you, you guys have been around the world, and, uh, you know, you've served in different countries. What's a takeaway from China? Give me a takeaway from your time in China. Or help people. I've traveled to China for business several times, but, you know, help people understand China that haven't been there. What's a takeaway? Well, the takeaway is this. Having been engaged with uh, the Chinese for 40 years of my life and lived in the region and dealt with them in business as a trade negotiator and as a chief American diplomat in Beijing, um, China's moment has arrived. Uh, Let's put it in context. Its moment since the end of the Qing dynasty, which is earlier last century, China was dominant on the world stage 200 years ago. They had the largest economy in the world, and they did probably for, I would say, a thousand years if you look at economic growth. So they lost it all during uh, most of last century because of incursions, uh, rebellions, um, land grabs, uh, uh, the frail nature of their political system, World War II, the rise of the Communist Party. It was just a mess. So they've got their act together now under a communist government and they're 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 now feeling pretty uh, uh, emboldened about where they go. So that's the world in which we now sit. And as far as you can see into the century, you've got two countries. We've never met a match like China. We had the Soviets during the Cold War, but they were not China. They didn't have an economy to match their security aspirations. But you've got, as far as the eye can see, two economic dynamos, two military dynamos. Uh, Countries that have relatively stable political systems and that differ on fundamental principles like the view of the individual in society, civil society, civil liberties, 
and uh, and and the role of uh, a nation state in the world. And there lies the rub. That that's that where is the rub, we're, right? We're that's gonna, the big rub. We're going to face confrontation. Yeah. What about Russia? <laughs> Mary Kay, I know you loved your time uh, over there in Russia. You know, I really did. Yeah. I, you know, I it came down to um, the people, yeah. not the government, but but the people on the streets. You know, I grew to really love them, and and I miss a lot of that. Um, people say they don't smile at you. They do. I mean, they they they. Um, I learned to stand up straighter. I would, I would tell John, I said, you know, you walk down the street and everyone just kind of, you know, they, they dress conservatively and well. And it's like it's yeah. kind of reminded me of going back to the early days when we would get dressed to go on an airplane. Yeah. And, and we had pride in doing that. Yeah. And, and, and I saw that they still do that. Um, you know, it was, it was really an extraordinary experience. And it was one of the hardest we've ever been through as well because of some of the things that John had to deal with in uh, the role as ambassador and the difficulty between the two countries. But yet I thought from a Russian to an, to an American, there um, were good feelings as far as just friendships there. And then you got into the government part of it. And, you know, that was a very difficult situation. So we were able to see both both sides. And um, uh, I took away a lot from there yeah. and, and, and hope to, to be – to better for it because it um, they taught us a lot. Yeah, there's there's great yeah. things and great people, of course, mm-hmm. all over the world. I remember Sally and I were in Russia several years ago. Your smiling comment mm-hmm. reminded me of this, Mary Kay. And uh, we're, you know, with our tour guide going somewhere in St. Petersburg or something. And, you know, I, I asked our tour guide, hey, do you think anyone thinks we're Russian? You know, yeah. just our look, you know. And he's like, oh, no, no. And I said, why no, not? No, you could pass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Sally could pass, too. Yeah. I mean, and, and I passed oh, for absolutely. it, too. Yes, yeah. I did, too. <laughs> But I asked him, and, I, and he said no. And he, I said, why? He said, because your smile too much. Your no. smile is too big. And but I found that the people are much warmer than I anticipated. And I thought it was just fascinating. It's really interesting how much both in China and in Russia, the nation state and or the government, the culture has. It's just a different way to look at the world than we're used to. Now, we pride, we prize what we have here in America. That's why we run for governor and do crazy things like that. We're fighting for this belief in freedom. But uh, it's different over there. But the people are happy. They're doing their own thing. And they've just grown up in this kind of different culture that that forges them and changes them in different ways. It's interesting. It's fun. It's, you know, the takeaway uh, and having been lucky enough to serve uh, in both China and Russia, you know, the, the take and the only American to having done uh, having done so. The takeaway is that, you know, if you look at world order today, you know, you've got one superpower, the United States, clearly, because of our economic prowess, our innovative capacity, civil society, uh, right on through to military and so much more. There are two great powers left in the world. You know, one of them is China because of their economic might and their growing military capacity. And then there's Russia, which has no real economy. It's got a trillion and a half dollar GDP, which is the size of Texas. But they have 5,000 nuclear weapons, same number that we have. Yeah. And because of that, you have to take them as a threat and you have to take them, you have to respect them as a, as a great power. They have a landmass that, expand, that, uh, that uh, covers 11 time zones. They have 150 million people, beautiful, brilliant. Creative. They're drawing from history just like we are. Their history is just much different than ours. Um, and they are a force to be reckoned with under Putin, who singularly has recast that country under his own ideals and aspirations as a professional intelligence officer, that uh, the country is a reflection of him. But it won't be that way forever. China will be what it is for quite some time because the fundamentals are pretty Chinese and pretty stable. In Russia, the fundamentals are pretty much tied to one person. Yeah. And some oligarchs, and that's fragile, yeah. and that's not going to last forever. Yeah, that would be interesting to see how that comes apart or changes, or it's going to be very fascinating. A lot at stake. There is a lot at stake. Well, it's been great to have you on here. I think we've covered a lot of ground in terms of meaningful lessons. Are, are there any other challenges that you guys have faced that you things that you've overcome that might be meaningful for our listeners? Anything that comes to mind? John was talking to me in the car. He said one of the things that you might ask is, you know, like a dark period in yeah. life. And I was thinking, you know, when you're going through what you think at the moment is a dark period, you'll think this is the, the darkest period. Your resilience comes through. You get through it and 
you can kind of not remember it like that. And then something else comes up. And the same thing with the happy moments in life. You know, we'll get so excited and happy about something. And, and, and those are, those are wonderful memories. But I was thinking about, you know, John said, you know, what's the, the darkest part in our life? I thought, you know, I think that honestly, um, we, we, life is about ups and downs. You know, I remember yeah. hearing, you know, my, my sister died of, of lung cancer and she was given six months to live. She lived only three weeks later. She was only 34. I remember that being such a dark period, but would I say that was the darkest? It, at the time it was. And at the time you're going through things, this is the darkest thing. But somehow through healing and through um, time, we heal, you know, we get through it and, and, and we become resilient and we move on to the next one and, you know, the, the ups and the downs. And it's because so, a human being you know, is resilient. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, That's the human experience. Yeah, the human that experience we're that we're having. Yeah. 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 And building that resilience, I think, is key. I mean, in the face of uncertainty, and there's a lot of uncertainty in our world right now. And, of, co- of course, of the global pandemic, the civil unrest, seeing so much uncertainty. It's about being resilient and I mean, holding so on it, to principles. Well, and as you know, Jeff, I mean, after election, the next day or two or three or four, you're just like, you just have this sock in the gut feeling yeah. and anyone does that goes through that you, because you put your heart and soul in something and yeah. then you're like wait what what just happened and again you're sitting here doing what you're doing today because you're resilient you yeah. got back up you're a leader and you're just like okay i'm gonna go do something else and i see that in in, in john so much too that it doesn't you know you go through those and yeah those moments are tough they're tough um but you somehow grow and learn and, and, and get back up on your feet and you move forward and you think, wait, was that really that bad? It was at the moment. But, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, Put in perspective. <laughs> yeah. no. Put but in perspective. perspective no. nothing, yeah. It was nothing, you know. And I think that's, that's you know, again, the, the human experience. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And what are you guys looking forward to? What's exciting on the horizon? Do you have, have you had any thoughts, John or Mary Kay, about what's next? Uh, or, you know, just what's exciting to you right now? You know, if you're a bit of a riverboat gambler, yeah, uh, Jeff, the thought that you've got now spare time to fill any way you want. I can't That's remember him, though, the sometimes. last time in life I had. <laughs> Same with me. Like, I had flexibility. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is great. And, yeah. and so every day we get interesting offers that come in. They range from, you know, corporate offers to TV uh, analysis offers <laughs> on foreign policy or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we're going to dump most of these and say no because our family's going to come first. Slow down. Just, just slow down just for a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, though, yeah, isn't it's it? Really it's, hard it's, re- it's really yeah. hard. It's yeah. really hard. So, how do you learn after running at 100 miles an hour for so many years and, and really, I mean, we don't take time off, we don't do vacation. People have such a misperception of who we are. Yeah. You just work, you just keep grinding away. And um, now, with a little free time, I don't know how to relax. That's yeah. the biggest problem. I don't know how to relax and shift gears and begin to embrace other things. But that's also the beauty in where we're going because I'm going to learn new tricks. Yeah. We're going to figure out how to spend a little portion of our time doing something that, you know, maybe never crossed our mind. Yeah. I'd love to start a band again. Yeah. Uh, hey. I'd love to race motorcycles again. Yeah. You know, I might be a little bit too old to do that. No, you can do both. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why you got, yeah. you're in shape. You can do But we've got thing. grandkids and, you know, we've got family that obviously is going to occupy a lot of our time. And, you know, we've also got a foundation that, you know, is a billion dollars strong. And and a lot of our work is going to be focused on mental health, just getting back to where we were earlier yeah. uh, on cancer and mental health and a lot of other good deeds. And that's where you want the state to succeed. You want it to have a vision. You want it to have a destiny. You want it to be the very best in class at certain things. And, um, uh, so we're, we're really excited about creating a model for mental health, um, delivery of health, receiving uh, those in need, looking at brain science a little differently to discover the underlying genetic root causes of uh, mental illness. That's exciting. Uh, because that, when I was growing up, you know, if you had seen a psychiatrist, that was a disqualifier in life. Yeah. You couldn't get a security clearance if you were in government. Well, we also said we don't remember. We went to the same high school, Highland High. We don't remember one suicide during the time. No. And our kids have no. all had friends. No. Each yeah. of them has had. Has I'd had, never heard you know, the term yeah. anxiety. Well, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't now imagine. I everywhere. Everyone has anxiety. Especially here in Utah. I cannot imagine a bigger impact that we could have yeah. except around mental health issues. And uh, that certainly is a worthy cause. Absolutely. And, I know the feeling of having some freedom. And I'll be honest, I've kind of wanted to protect it a little bit. Yeah. 
you, you go out of the race yeah. and there's instantly yeah, all yeah. these things you could do or all these offers or ideas from other people. I've wanted to take a step back, internalize the lessons, embrace the pain a mm-hmm. little bit, become a better person, focus right. on my family, and, and let's see how we can have impact in the world. I have no doubt that you guys will continue to make Utah the best place to live. I have nothing but admiration and respect for you all for what you've done, your background and history, and, of course, jumping into the gubernatorial race. I'm glad that we became we better friends. Now yeah, it was That's fun. Right. It was fun. And tell Sally hello for a minute. Uh, we will. Thanks so much for Great joining us. Great being with you. Yeah, yeah, you. What a treat. Keep up the good work. Thank you. This Thank has you. been the Us Podcast with a name you know well, the Huntsmans, Mary Kay and John. So grateful to have them in today. One of the questions that I get asked most about running for governor, I mean, in the top 10 or whatever, is, you know, why why did John Huntsman run or, you know, why was he running or whatever? I think that John is a statesman. I think that he's a public servant. And like he said, I think it is in his DNA to get involved, to put his shoulder to the wheel and to try to make a difference. He spoke about critics from the corners, and there are too many of that in every corner of our world right now. He is someone who is out trying to lead and to make a difference. Is he perfect? No. Is anyone perfect? Absolutely not. We are all struggling with something. We're all struggling with different things. But I admire uh, the Huntsman's courage and putting their name out there. Mary Kay is a dear soul. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast, that it helped you understand who John and Mary Kay Huntsman are. I was touched by their vulnerability, by their openness about their faith. Um, about their struggles uh, in their family with mental health, etc. I look for John Huntsman to continue to be a powerful force uh, here in the state of Utah, for sure, I hope, in terms of mental illness and other ways, but across the country and the world. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Us Podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week. Hey guys, it's Jeff. Thank you so much for your love and listening to the Extraordinary Us podcast. We just got news that we are in the top 2% of podcasts listened to worldwide. So please share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow. And with that, there's another podcast that we've been working on. There is. And it's called Under Our Bed. Bed. And it's actually here. It's not fake. (laughs) We had so many people reach out and say, we've looked for it. We can't find it. Guess what? It's there now. You can find it now. Yes, you can. Search it up. (laughs) Search it up. (laughs) Under Our Bed with Jeff and Sal. In episode one, we talk about why the name. Episode Episode two is the joy of doing something unexpected. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And you want to hear what we have coming up. So Under Our Bed is actually there now. Subscribe. Tell your friends. As Sal would say, search it up. And you're going to love it. I love you, Sal. Good night. I love you. Good night.